Welcome to LPP, the Legal Privilege Podcast by Herbert Smith Freehills, where we unpack the tricky concept of legal professional privilege and apply some key privilege principles to practical scenarios. I'm Tanya Gray, a disputes partner with a range of experience in regulatory and corporate criminal matters, as well as class actions and other major litigation. I'm joined today by Mark and Leah. Hi, Tanya. I'm Mark Pavley, a senior associate in the disputes team with a background in contentious regulatory matters and corporate crime and investigations. And I'm Leah Serafin, a commercial litigation associate specialising in tax disputes. This is episode four in our series. In episode one, our colleagues gave a quick refresher on privilege key concepts before looking at some important things to think about when setting up an investigation. Episode two provided some insights on questions that come up throughout the investigation. And episode three discussed how to maintain privilege both during and after an investigation, including where regulators or other third parties may seek access. In this episode today, we will give you a refresher on common interest privilege, joint privilege and limited waiver, including differences between those concepts and when they might arise. And we're also going to discuss how you might look to protect privilege in different scenarios by applying these concepts in our whistleblower case study from earlier episodes. Our listeners will recall from episode three that privilege will be lost when an action taken in respect of the document or communication, for instance, sharing with a third party, is inconsistent with maintaining its confidentiality. That is a waiver. There are, however, certain circumstances where you can share privilege material with a third party and maintain privilege against everyone else, which we will be exploring in further detail in this episode. Mark, can you take us through our first concept? Our first concept is common interest privilege. Common interest privilege is an exception to the rules of waiver. So it's not actually a separate category of privilege. Privilege will be maintained when the communication is disclosed to another person, so long as that other person has a sufficiently common interest in the legal advice or litigation. Typical examples of common interest include as between a litigation funder and a litigant, co-defendants of a claim, partners and joint venture participants, and an insurer and insured when the coverage will be granted under a policy. Common interest privilege will not apply where individual interests are selfish and potentially adverse to one another. For example, in the due diligence context, where a potential buyer accesses the vendor or target's legal advice as to the target's affairs, or the relationship between debtor and creditor. Now, these aren't defined categories. It's always necessary to carefully examine the relationship between the parties, the nature of their interests, the contents of the privileged communication. Leah, can you take us through the second concept? Thanks, Mark. Our second concept is joint privilege. This arises where two or more persons join in communication with a legal advisor for the purpose of obtaining that advisor's advice. By way of example, joint privilege may be held by members of a class in a class action proceedings, or may arise where two or more parties engage an independent expert for a privileged purpose. This may be so even where there is no formal legal relationship between the parties. Leah, I might just chime in here to summarise the distinction. Common interest privilege is the name given to the exception to the usual rules of waiver. It applies where the receiving party has a common interest in the advice. 
joint privilege arises where two or more persons seek legal advice together. For joint privilege, all holders must agree to a waiver. By contrast, it's not always necessary that all interested parties agree to a waiver where common interest applies. A note of caution on common interest privilege. The circumstances where a common interest might apply may be narrower than you instinctively think. And after you make the decision to share advice, interests may diverge. And there's a further risk, as I've just mentioned. One interested party may be able to waive privilege without seeking consent from the others. We'll discuss ways to manage these risks in the next part of the episode. That's a great point, Tanya. Our third and final concept is limited waiver, which we discussed in some detail in the last episode. This is where a privileged document is shared with a third party for a limited and specific purpose on the condition that the third party will treat that information disclosed as confidential and so only waived against that party. General counsel may also be wondering about disclosures within corporate groups and whether privilege can be maintained when advice is shared with different entities or officers within the same corporate group. The answer is often yes, but as always, there are exceptions, particularly if the parties have different interests and duties, such as a trustee and a manager. So now let's turn to the practical. What steps can you take to protect privilege in a document where there is a common interest privilege or joint privilege in play? And in the absence of either, can you guard against a waiver by providing a document to a third party on the basis of a limited waiver? The key overarching point here is that before you share any privileged material with a third party, you should be absolutely clear on both the privileged status of that material and your relationship with the third party. This should include careful consideration of each party's interests in the advice or litigation. We'll deal with the three concepts in turn. Thanks, Tanya. The first concept is joint privilege as the narrowest category. It should be relatively straightforward to identify. Consider whether you and the other party have a common retainer with the relevant lawyer. If there's no formal engagement, consider whether you and the other party have communicated with that lawyer jointly for the purpose of retaining them or seeking advice. If so, Sharing privileged material flowing from that communication is unlikely to amount to a waiver because there is a joint privilege. As we said earlier, joint privilege may arise where the joint engagement is of a third party expert rather than a lawyer. As we discussed later on, you should exercise additional caution where there is no written joint retainer. The second concept that we'll look at is common interest privilege, which tends to be trickier to identify with certainty. Consider the subject matter of the privileged document, your own interests in that subject matter, and the interests of the party that you're planning to give the document to. If there is a commonality of interests between you and the receiving party, there may be a common interest such that disclosure doesn't amount to waiver. Note that your interests don't need to be identical. The parties can have some independent interest in the advice or litigation, but they should not be adverse to one another. Identifying a commonality of interests can be especially tricky for more complex relationships, such as those of trustee and beneficiary, or members of a superannuation scheme, the manager of, and the trustee of the scheme, even when that is within a corporate group. This is all quite theoretical, and we'll get to some examples in a minute. 
But what should be apparent is that identifying common interest privilege will rarely be clear cut. For this reason, we would not generally advise clients to rely on common interest privilege alone to protect against waiver when providing material to third parties. Instead, consider providing material on the basis of a limited waiver. Thanks, Tanya. In the case of limited waiver, it's essential that the party sharing the document retain full control over the ability to further disseminate the document. To do this, two important limits need to be imposed by you if you're going to share the advice. First, the receiving party must only use the document for a specific and limited purpose and so have no freedom to use the document in any way beyond that purpose. Second, the receiving party must treat the information in the document as confidential and not disclose that information to others. You should be clear about the limitations on distribution even within the receiving party. And is a written agreement necessary? Well, no, but it is generally safer. Now, let's return to our whistleblower case study from earlier episodes to see how these three concepts might apply in practice. I'm going to hand over to Mark initially, who will help us take a look at these two scenarios. For our first scenario, assume that the internal investigation into the whistleblowing report has concluded and that the company has made a report to the regulator, as we discussed in episode three of this podcast. The regulator has now opened its own investigation into both the company and an executive who is also implicated in the relevant conduct. The company and the executive are separately represented. The companies formed the view that with advice from external lawyers that the regulator is likely to commence civil penalty proceedings against the company and the executive. So let's start by looking at joint privilege. Here you have two parties, the company and its executive, who have separate retainers with different lawyers. So it's unlikely that joint privilege applies. What about common interest privilege? Well, The company and the executive do seem to have the same or very similar interests in the outcome of any litigation. They both want to successfully defend any allegation of fraud or wrongdoing. So what should the company do if the executive asks for a copy of the company's advice, which was given as part of the internal investigation? It may be that the company and the executive have a common interest such that handing over the advice to the executive won't amount to a waiver. I agree with that, Mark. But what if the commonality of interest is not clear? For example, if there is some evidence that the executive was acting in breach of the company's code of ethics, or what if down the track more facts emerge or strategies for dealing with the regulator diverge such that it becomes more difficult to identify a common interest? Here we can apply our third concept, limited waiver. The company and its executive may choose to enter into an agreement to govern how they share information. This agreement could make clear that privileged documents are shared between the company and the executive on a strictly confidential basis for the limited purpose of defending any litigation and that they can't be shared further. In other words, there is only a limited waiver. These types of agreements often have the additional purpose of evidencing that the parties consider that they have a common interest if that remains the case. It's a really good point, Tanya. Moving on to our second scenario, assume that against all expectations, the regulator decided not to bring proceedings and has closed its investigation. Some time has passed 
and the company's UK parent is in talks with a private equity fund who wants to acquire the company. In the course of performing its due diligence, the PE fund learns of the whistleblowing matter and asks for a copy of the advice from the internal investigation. It says it will walk away from the transaction if the company refuses to hand over the advice. Now, here it's obviously important for the potential purchaser to understand as fully as possible the target's potential liabilities. Equally, the target doesn't want to risk waiving privilege by just handing over advice to a third party who may end up walking away from the transaction for other reasons. There is case law that common interest privilege may be inapplicable in such a scenario. The target wants to minimise the downside represented by the potential claim so as to maximise the price for its shares, whereas the purchaser wants the opposite. Their interests are potentially adverse. For this reason, the company should consider providing the advice to the PE fund under a limited waiver. That is, for the limited purpose of considering whether to proceed with the transaction and at what price, and strictly confidentially with a limit on further dissemination. And there are some other issues to consider in this scenario as well, Tanya. Yeah, just one final point on this. Foreign courts also have their own rules about privilege and disclosure. In this case, the fact the parent company is a UK entity may mean that the UK law will be relevant. And while English law recognises the concept of limited waiver, other jurisdictions such as the US do not. And so this is just another point that we should all be mindful about in cross-border matters. Leah, I might hand over to you to um, share some final thoughts. We'll just consider four key takeaways for listeners. First is that joint privilege, um, interest privilege, applies only in limited circumstances when you and another party seek advice together from the same lawyer. It'll be clear that joint privilege applies when the advice is first sought. Second, exercise caution when relying on common interest privilege. It's not always clear that you and another party will have a sufficiently common interest, and it can be hard to prove, especially if your interests have diverged since you shared the advice. Third, limited waiver is a useful tool for sharing advice when needed. The safest way to do this is to make clear in a written agreement with the receiving party that the material is being provided on a confidential basis for a limited purpose and with a prohibition on disclosing the document further. And finally, always consider the context before disclosing privileged information to a third party. The concepts we've discussed today become trickier in more complex relationships, even between entities in the same corporate group and in matters involving communicating across multiple jurisdictions. Thank you, Leah and Mark. That brings us to the end of this episode on common interest privilege, joint privilege and limited waiver. We hope you enjoyed it and thank you for listening. You can find more resources on our Legal Professional Privilege in Australia online hub at hsf.com. The Privilege Hub has practical guidance and steps to implement best practice LPP controls applying many of the concepts we've discussed today. And you can listen and subscribe to more HSF podcasts through your usual podcast platform. Thank you.